Hello, this is the devil. The opinions expressed on the VHSM by its hosting guests do not necessarily represent the opinion of the station as a whole, the University of Wisconsin Madison, or the Board of Regents, because we strongly encourage free speech to help the exchange of ideas, and because we want to represent the best our listeners have to offer, we try to bring a range of ideas protected under the First Amendment. We do not play music that has naughty words in it between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. Our staff does not use obscene or indecent language during those times. Please feel free to send any comments, positive or negative. <laughs> Regarding our policy via email to our program director at P-R-O-G at W-S-U-M dot W-I-S-C dot E-D-U or by regular mail to program director care of W-S-U-M radio P.O. Box 260020 Madison, Wisconsin 53726-0020. Thank you. This is W-S-U-M Madison, the snake on the lake, 91.7 FM. And it's that land bias in its purest form. Word is hard, Joey, word is song. If you don't recognize it, you'll respond. Catch a bigger bullet than George never saw. Rick Flair with the chops. And they thought he's gonna flop. Finally back on the top. I already made it to the WSUM 91.7 FM. Welcome to another exciting edition of XX underscore dialogue underscore squad underscore XX. It is a beautiful weekend here at WSUM, and uh, they recently had a live performance and interview with uh, indie musician Gus Dapperton. Do you, I I don't know much about him other than the one music video I saw. His music, um, it's pretty good. I don't. It's not. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of uh, indie rock, uh, in my opinion. So I guess my taste isn't uh, adapted to it. So hate mail will come in. Uh, Jacob, do you know anything about it? I'm here. I am Wacky Willie D. I forgot to mention here with co-host uh, Jacob Peterson, aka DJP. Yeah, I guess I've been a nickname. Um, Real name for me is William Doty, but my mm-hmm. birth name is Wacky Willie D. Of course, Wacky Willie D. Doty. Um, but do you know anything yeah. about the uh, Gus Gaffertin at all? Uh, just my friend saw him last night at the uh, Loring Pasta Bar. Maybe it's two nights ago. Oh yeah, I, I was supposed to go with her. I do think. you know? Um, but I did not because I'm here. Do you so. know how it went for them? I'm sure it was good. He seems. No, I haven't talked to her yet. I was, I'm just saying the last time I was in, I was telling you in the hallway, last time I was in the Lauren Post bar, we were getting kicked out for uh, one of my friends stealing the tablecloth. So, yeah, I don't know if I would have been welcome there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's <laughs> anyway. A, anyway, he's a rising dream pop artist with a unique sort of style. Um, he has, was there a, a new like recent EP or something that he released? Um, I'm not sure, but anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. He, and, he had some music video yeah, called Prune. Last year. Prune, you talk funny, uh, as well as um, I'm just snacking um, about being laid back and doing all sorts of, you know, normal person activities, being a cool guy and whatnot. Um, so lots of sort of things have been going over over break. Welcome back from break for those of you who are back in town in Madison. Um, if you're not back in town in Madison or you work here or something, then uh, happy uh, January 20- 
uh, 20th, I guess. Happy Inauguration Day um, Yeah, this is a one-year anniversary, dude. I know. It's amazing. Um, so uh, well, what would your assessment be of the Trump administration so well, far? Well, I think it's fitting that it the year begins with a shutdown. <laughs> like, yeah, it's an encapsulation of the kind time. Of, yeah, that seems like it's kind of um, part of the the vector of this administration, but... What do you mean, yeah. the, the vector of this administration? Oh, just, you know, continuing dis- Throwing continuing out the, the, the program of dysfunction and chaos that um, brought in the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Who do you think is responsible for the chaos and uh, all that? I mean, I there's a lot of... Is technically it- everybody, but, like, we gotcha. could tell we could like tell a story, um, which began in 2013 when... Well, no, it really began during the Reagan years when... Um, uh, the federal de- or the federal budget was seen as a way of um, conducting policy or forcing concessions from the majority party, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, so like our government doesn't just run by itself. We have to Congress periodically has to pass um, resolutions to fund it. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are called continuing resolutions. Um, the House on Thursday passed a continuing resolution that would keep the government open for four extra weeks until February 18th, largely along partisan lines. Actually, only along partisan lines. Um, and then it was dropped in the Senate. They held a vote on Friday, and it failed on the floor. I think there were 50 votes for it, 45 against. Um, or another 50, yeah, 50 votes for it, 49 against, and one abstention, right? Yeah. Um, and this this actually, the Senate vote was a lot more interesting. Um, Republicans that did not vote for it were um, uh, Jeff Flake, Lindsey Graham, Mike Lee, um, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Rand Paul, all why, for their own reasons. Why? Um, were their own individual reasons? Are there any like trends that we see? Or? Yeah. So I think Graham and Flake would more run into the 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 block of older senators who want to restore quote unquote regular order. Regular order isn't really a thing. It more just refers to how things were done five years ago, and it's kind of a moving target. Um, and it more just, I mean, if actual regular order would would have Congress passing actual budgets and you know budgetary bills, we don't do that anymore. We haven't done it since the Obama presidency, really. So yeah, um, nerds. Or actually, even a little bit before that. So yeah, so that's part of it. Um, Republicans who voted for it are actually interesting too. You have Claire McCaskill, Heidi Heitkamp, um, Joe Manchin. Actually, that isn't that interesting. They're um, uh, Democrats who are in largely red states or purple states. Um, are the ones who voted for it? Yeah, or the Democrats who voted uh, for that it. Make, so. That makes sense. Yeah, so they I mean, look good and the thing is, you, you have to get to, yeah, you have to get to sixty votes on this. So it's it's um, pundits who, and obviously the fact that it wasn't going to get to sixty votes, you know, no matter what, um, was part of what allowed for this, you know, five votes to switch from either party. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the reason why Mitch McConnell voted against is he thinks there should be a tighter short-term deadline. Um, also included in the continuing resolution was a uh, provision to fund the um, Children's Health, in- uh, sorry, SCHIP, which is the um, State Health Insurance uh, Children, sorry, State Children's Health Insurance Program, uh, which provides health care to um, children who are in poverty. Essentially. Yeah, and this has been kind of been futzed around. Or they've been futzing around this since uh, September uh, when funding officially ran out or stopped, and then obviously agencies can budget ahead, but you know. It was actually going to run out um, in, I think, mid-December, right? Yeah. Yeah, so some agencies have already started shutting down or have had to delay payments to workers um, mm-hmm. who are providing health care or managing cases, yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so now we're officially in shutdown. That means um, a f- couple hundred thousand federal employees are going to go on furlough starting next Monday. And, uh, yeah, Will, do you have any, any opinions on this? Um, hmm. Not... 
I mean, not really. It just indicates, yeah, that's right. yeah. indicates you know, partisanship. I think both sides are playing hardball, at least with the the budget. And then the stopgap, um, I know the with the long-term budget that they're trying to pass, which led to the stopgap bill, um, mm-hmm. they were, the Trump administration said, no, DACA will be passed without funding for a border wall, which a lot of Democrats view as uh, completely, you know, asinine and useless waste of money. So they... Unless they're really willing to compromise and live, are in a position to compromise, mm-hmm. i.e., like they live in a conservative enough, or moderate enough state that they won't be seen as like traitors to the cause or something, and then run out by the Democratic Party or yeah. or their constituents. Well, what you're what you're pointing to is um kind of the the deal that Dick Durbin had had made with the president or was on the way to making with the president and you know people like Lindsey Graham. Yeah, and then that's the but that meeting is where you know the uh, asshole comment came out. Oh of, yeah, right? let's talk about that. Yeah, know. so that 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 actual that actual compromise that you just outlined was what was kind of on the table. So you yeah. you fulfill the Pentagon's um, budgetary requests in full. You also provide some funding for border security, mm-hmm. um, and then in return the Democrats get uh, DACA. DACA. So for, you know, now what the confines of that actually looked like, we never really knew because the the deal blew up because Donald Trump decided to make what a I think are pretty uncontroversially now considered racist comments um, towards, or at the very least, incredibly insensitive and uh, poorly thought out comments about yeah, and I think, migrants from Africa and um, I think Caribbean the, yeah, countries. I think the important thing, a lot of a lot of I saw at the media is that it turned into um, not a discussion about what he ac- what he actually is reported as saying is saying why do we need people from asshole countries? He it just devolved into calling the countries asshole countries, which could be said from any sort of angle, you know, a sympathetic standpoint, like, oh, we need to help these people in these countries, or these countries are assholes for these people, i.e. they're like poorly governing, you're pointing out the problems, but the the way he's supposedly said it yeah. is um, sort of dehumanized. Well, I mean, people. so part of the media that focused on the actual, like, expletives themselves were like, that was really stupid because yeah, presidents yeah. obviously it's swear all the... Mainstream fake news. Yeah, I mean, if you if you listen to any tapes of, like, Lyndon Baines, sorry, LBJ speaking... Oh, yeah, that was like, 90 was, was profane. Yeah, oh, he's a, he's a foul... He had a foul mouth. Like foul he, mouth. Very like he would be kicked off the air. Like if you're on like the air on WSU, he'd be kicked off within yes. you know, ten minutes. But foul mouth. Very racist. Yeah, so very offensive. Probably sexist. But what I'm saying is like focusing on the the swear itself kind of ignores the, the thrust of it, which is like Donald Trump is he's somebody who like covets you know branding and and wealth. So like when he was talking about Norway, he recently had a visit from um, a Norwegian diplomat. Oh yeah. So he had about, Norway on the mind thinking well. Well, well and Norway. Um, we well, recently kind of, had a deal well, with just, them. He's just because he's like this like. Um, creature who's just like in the thrall of conspicuous consumption. He he really is into branding and, and labels, and like he has to have the best of the best, right? Mm-hmm. So he, you know, was talking with this diplomat about Norway. Probably got really on to Norway as being a great place, and we need these people to come here because they're top class people. Whereas you know, like what does Haiti have? It, yeah, you know, hypothetically speaking, from his um, position. But I think a lot of conservatives share the standpoint, which is what Trump has said, which is merit based education. Well no, and I mean listen of- nobody's nobody's like saying that Haiti's a like I don't think anybody who is, you know, dragging Trump for this would want to grow up in Haiti. Right. No. But that is what the, the, the point is though the is people that, from Haiti are Yeah, playing. the the yeah, the point is that people from Haiti who, you know, should be allowed to migrate, especially the ones who are displaced by the earthquake and who were had their or their um their um sorry, their temporary uh Sorry, their temporary visas revoked by the Trump administration back in what was it October? Like that's um, a real problem, right? Um, 
and there's about 50,000 of them in the U.S., mostly in Texas. And that, like, that's that's something more solid to latch onto. But just getting upset about his language or, you know, trying to defend, yeah. like, like, the, you know, obviously the extreme poverty and, you know, problems in yeah. Haiti. And not to, I mean, and the other thing, too, is it, it completely, it, the fact that he brought a page specifically divorces um, the U.S. from any responsibility it has with regard to Haitian politics, which we've been interfering with in interfering with routinely since yeah. you know the 1800s and the Trump administration he he's um you know I remember in the 2016 campaign as a way to knock Hillary Clinton he constantly brought up the Clinton or the Clinton Foundation's yeah. exploitation No, I mean that's that's the only Haiti. part and then and now no, the Trump part, administration is now doing sitting on their hands That's part of it too is like and I mean we just last year the UN finally admitted that foreign aid workers brought a call rapid out to Haiti Yeah right? like and the the reason why like you know I was kind of peeved about it was it just continued this long tradition of ignoring U.S. foreign policy's, you know, responsibility um, with regard to Haiti's, you know, mis- current misfortune. Well, the Trump administration's right. policy with regards to, like, foreign policy and foreign aid with this, I, th- I don't think people should be surprised. Maybe with the bluntness of the comment, but mm-hmm. I don't think if it translates into policy, I don't think they'd be surprised by it because the policy is America first. So it's pretty much nativism and protectionism for yeah. the for the country, which I think is incorrect because— um, you know, other countries are just going yeah. to step up to the plate and look like the good guys, whereas we are going to, you know, sit back and normalize, uh, I guess, cruel or selfish behavior around the world, whereas we get a lot of uh, benefits from being altruistic around the world. Mm-hmm. We look like the global leader and all that. A lot of people forget about that, and they just see the cost and go like, we don't need to help out other countries, things along those lines, you know. Um, yeah, I mean that that kind of is is in tune with the fact that people think we spend like half our budget on foreign aid, right? Yeah, we've spent don't <laughs> yeah, spend that only, much. Right? <laughs> we spent a lot of money on we spent a lot of money on policing the world with the military. Yeah, I mean they're getting well funded. Yeah, I, I mean guess. if you if you consider our more our military to be foreign aid, then then maybe you could make that argument. But yeah, yeah our anyways, military is definitely foreign the entire aid. point is Come that on. it's it's kind of like out of line. But anyways, getting back to um, I guess while we're on the topic of you know groups of um people in the United States who don't have any protections right now, obviously like DACA um, recipients or people who've signed up for DACA as well as these would be the dreamers, people who were brought to the country when they were very young and who often have younger siblings who are U.S. citizens um, and have parents who, you know, may, may have some sort of mixed uh, immigration status currently, right? Yeah, like they illegally immigrated to the and country. Their parents just, did and like, they were born here. So I just kind of want to like lay out the moral case for this. And this this also extends to Haitians who are in the U.S. on that um, on the temporary on the temporary visas as well as El Salvadorans. Is the reason why this is a sticking point for the Democratic Party and why it's you know a sticking point for people that that I guess you know care about American citizens is that oftentimes it's really about these people's connections to American citizens. So if you look at El Salvadorans who are in the country on, on the temporary visas, for instance, they have children who are U.S. citizens, right? They put yeah. they've been here for eighteen years, right? Yeah. So the reason you're by the, just the solely, reason why we want to give them permanent status is because it's in the interest of U.S. citizens who you know, who are their children yeah. in many cases to have their, their parents be able to stay in the country with them. And if you can't like, yeah. but like we and do that this, is protection but Republicans do this too. thing where they, they split it. They, they like split the immigration debate along, along the lines of people who were born here, you know, and have been here for several generations versus yeah. people who are recently born here. And they, they pretend like people who are U S citizens who became U S citizens as adults or, have um or you no know, forgiveness or whose parents are not U.S. citizens, right? Mm-hmm. They pretend like it's like the, somehow they're foreigners or something, right? Like they're yeah. not really Americans who deserve to bring their 
you know, their, their family here. Yeah, right? it's a lot, and a lot of nativist sentiment, you know. And that's where, like, like they're not true Americans. Yeah, and that's that's why, like, another reason why this, this deal is kind of failing in the first place is because hardliners in, you know, Congress and the Senate on the Republican side, unfortunately, um, they want to end things like they call it chain migration, but chain migration is really just being oh, able to Or bring, anchor babies. I remember that was Yeah, one. but chain migration is just being able to bring your family to live with you that's been a policy since the 60s. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't, like, they think it's, like, a problem. And, like, for me, it's, like, you're just protecting the interests of, of it people. It just makes sense. Of people who, you know, are your, like, countrymen. Like, I don't get that. I don't get where the where that impulse comes from. It's Well, I, it's I, don't, even, I don't even think that the Trump administration, well, maybe some in the Trump administration, but Donald Trump <laughs> himself would be that radical. No, he isn't. He isn't, like. Because yeah. I think if we, uh, if you explained it to him from that angle, i.e. it's in the interest of people who are American citizens by law, like by just the lead, yeah. which I mentioned earlier, which if you're born on American soil, you are a citizen. Um, they are citizens, so therefore it is in their interest to protect them, I guess, in the form of their parents, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and like these people, they own home, they own homes, the they, they own businesses. Like it's, it's they not participate like, in society. Yeah, so it's like it's there's no reason to do this other than this sort of I mean, nativist sentiment. Yeah, which I guess is just another way of saying racism. And like I, like I, I just like yeah, of course it's racist. It's always been racist. It's going been racist. Yeah, since the no, people and like now, of the Germans now, back like, in the like 1850s. I feel I feel stupid for like thinking that there was a way to like get around it, like rhetorically or maybe like okay well maybe it's something else right but like no the increasing like vision to me is like and this kind of became crystal clear when like i don't know if you watched tucker carlson he had mark stein on he's this yeah i've seen tucker yeah but he had like mark stein on he's this you know bizarre canadian man um is he a liberal no he's he's uh he's a basically a neo-reactionary but oh he was he he was on his show like it was like earlier this week and there's a clip of him saying like well arizona has more well first off this isn't even true he said he claimed that arizona had more hispanic school children than white school children that isn't true well and well, no no sorry let me just finish this he said it wasn't no, sorry that isn't even true but what he said in response was well we now we need to draw the border north because like he's he's now conflating americanness with whiteness and like yeah and that's that's like that in is racism, reality right? like i don't in reality i bet these if you look at you know history that used to be a part of old mexico so these people are most well, I'm sure there's a, a lot of um, people who migrated illegally, but of course, a lot of the Hispanic people are native-born U.S. citizens. So yeah, I mean, yeah, there most is Hispanic that... people, most Hispanic people in Arizona are native-born, like they're Americans. Like I don't, yeah. I don't get this. Like, it's yeah, again, it's what it is. Is it's drawing you know citizen citizenship closer to whiteness and length of time in the U.S. Yeah, right. Whiteness, of course. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's how it's always been. I even with. Um, I feel like I with the end of the Cold War, you say no. No, I'm saying I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Like it's just, it, it is. I mean, it's always been true, and like I guess we can kind of get ourselves in in positions where we can convince ourselves that like they don't mean that, but like I mean they clearly no, they do. do they point. do mean like, that, yeah. and it's all. It's, and even then, I don't think it's going to stop the tide of immigration. Like they, they can put a pause on it, but it'll just pe- the pressure will still be there for immigration to you know, open up and liberalize. Um, yeah. Like we had in the 1850s in Wisconsin, there was a lot of the same things that people, a lot of the same racist or classist and xenophobic rhetoric that people were using against Hispanic people mm-hmm. um, were used against German immigrants in the Midwest in the 1850s. Like, yeah. like they aren't learning the language. They're not assimilating. 
they aren't, you know, participating in society. They're taking our jobs. They're, you know, they're going to obey the Kaiser and ruin our values. There was a lot of anxiety about Germans. Well, I mean, and, and there, there's a Irish through, people. A lot of people bring yeah. up the Irish people, mm-hmm. but they don't look at the, I think, the more accurate, which is we had yeah. a lot of, you know, cultural change because there is such a massive amount of I have German a, immigrants I have a, coming. I have a great country. story. Um, we, uh, we, we talked about. Um, one of my favorite um, American history authors, his name is William Hoagland. Um, I read another one of his books a few months ago, and in Ooh. it, in it he, um, he recounts like how a, a tradition in Boston used to be, in colonial Boston, used to be a, a grand celebration where all the all the you know Protestants of various stripes, you know, your Puritans and Anglicans and whatnot, would all get together on a, a day, and they'd, it would basically be an anti-Catholic day, uh-huh. and they would parade, they would parade, um, you know effigies of the pope through the street and burn it and uh go attack catholic churches and stone catholic women and stuff and yeah like, like throw rocks at them um, hey, yeah at least so we yeah, don't I have mean, that going on quite as much yeah and i mean if and, and again like there's a direct through line between you know and you know quote-unquote anti-papist sentiment right through to you know anti-muslim the current anti-muslims um sentiment it's in the ru- same in, no in rural america that's racking places like st cloud in minnesota where you know i'm pretty familiar with right yeah isn't is uh st cloud i remember reading an article the most racist city in in the midwest it's actually really scary i mean it's i i would there's a there's you a, went there no, just in terms of like the the stories that come out of there. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of just like how that community is breaking down along, you know, fear of, of racial and of an increasing minority, essentially. Lines. Yeah. Um, but anyways, let's, we've kind of wandered. Um, anyway, so yeah, yeah. And, so and if any, you look at the the rhetoric or against immigrants um, and against papal people uh, throughout Catholics, history, yeah. yeah, it's always been <clears throat> the same thing. People said like they're chameleons, man. You can't trust them. They're going to obey that pope. They're going to act like they're going to blend in, and nothing happens. And then um, the definition of what it means to be an American changes. Or these people, um, you know, they still a lot of. The immigrants, they view themselves as simultaneously having two identities. This is the case for German immigrants. This is the case for Hispanic people. A lot of times the United States. A lot of Americans who are conservative get, or um, I guess xenophobic, get freaked out if they see a Mexican-American uh, person flying a Mexican flag. But this is a celebration of two identities. They view themselves as like citizens of both mm-hmm. nations. And they don't view a problem with it. And if you go back to the 1850s, people, there was like Spanish language, or not Spanish, uh, excuse me, German language uh, newspapers put out Mm -hmm. that documented German as well as American like news. And they had like little pictures of, you know, little German kids saluting the flag and whatnot. And, um, you know, the people had to put up with problems and, um, you know, sentiment from the people who didn't want them there. But they ultimately, and they, I don't want to say assimilate. People are saying they're not assimilating. Assimilation takes time. They, there was native German pe- speakers. Well, but in, in, in the case, it doesn't of, even need to be assimilation. The cult, the mainstream culture can change without well, people no, but even in, noticing. In the it. case of the post World War II period, it, it wasn't assimilate. And during World War II, it wasn't assimilation. It was direct repression. Yeah. Um. So I mean, with a threat of violence. Yeah. And that's that's how Germans kind of just became a, a nebulous part of white America. Um, yeah. They they uh, but, shut their mouths and stopped. Yeah. Anyways, getting getting back themselves. to uh, the end of the government shutdown. I mean, essentially, like what it's going to end with is probably what Dick Durbin negotiated with Donald Trump. So it's going to be some sort of increase in funding for border security, some sort of you know fulfillment of the Pentagon's wishes for the military budget, yeah. right? And then it's going to be you know. Um, a continuation of the Deferred Action for Childhood uh, Arrivals program. Yeah. Now, what that looks like, what all those things look like is incredibly undefined. You know, it's like 
is it you know a pathway to citizenship is it legal residency status like it it's really up in the air right yeah um and the the degree to which democrats can lobby for um daca children or you know daca recipients is also up in the air so like is it going to be a green card will it be a pathway to citizenship like you know again that's unspecified right now and even like what the what border security will look like is also unspecified um it might just be a new hiring surge it could be an increase in physical barriers on the border even though you know we already have a lot of physical borders on the barrier we don't have sorry physical barriers on the border we don't have the wall yeah we have lots of fencing though and like it is if you don't consider fences to be a wall like i I don't know it's yeah jobs wall (laughs) I question. Oh uh, yeah. So anyway, we were talking about a lot that. Of people. We were talking about how long it. We think it's gonna last. Will you? What do you say? Like two weeks? Um. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm gonna say like a month. <laughs> yeah. Why um, do you think that? Uh, when do? How long do government shutdowns generally last? Do you? Do you know? Or do you have a ballpark idea? Well, it's just because I think the reason why there isn't going to be a short-term um, continuing resolution deal is because Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell both dis- disagree on the timeline, right? And that's yeah. that's already a problem. I think that Donald Trump is probably going to vacate the White House sometime next week because once um, it's kind of a technical aspect of, you know, the government shutdown is that um, about 377 employees are going to leave the White House and not report for work. Yeah. So So during the last shutdown, for instance, like there wasn't really any food, like everybody was kind of pitching in to clean bathrooms and like change um, toilet paper and stuff. And I think Donald Trump's going to get pretty considering like how kind of, you know, futzy he is or, you know. Yeah, he hates the White House. Yeah, considering how much he already doesn't like being there, and then add on to that the fact that nobody's gonna like be there to be like maintaining it really. I think that's gonna get get bored and. Yeah, I think he's probably. I think he's probably just gonna go to Mar-a-Lago until it's until it's over. So you you can have me on that. I'll put ten dollars on that. Will. Um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So. (laughs) I mean, he's too busy with North Korea. Um, Yeah. So like in in the meantime, we're. Yeah. So in in the meantime, like. I, I think it's because the timelines don't don't align and Donald Trump's pretty much vacated any responsibility for this and the fact that Republicans don't really seem to consider um DACA as a legitimate um issue up for contention yeah I think that that's just going to extend it um past what we would expect from you know the 2000 sorry the 2013 shutdown which lasted two weeks a little over two weeks yeah there's such like values-based disagreement Mm -hmm. here um, because like, well, no, because like the last shutdown like kind of made sense because, or from like some perspectives, because it was about government spending, right? It was yeah. about deficits, and like we're going to stop deficits by not allowing for government spending, and like yeah. that that made that like framework made more sense. And we're concerned about the military budget, also funding a border wall, and also um having this separate program that's been overturned by Donald Trump or like you know on review until I think it's like March right and then has already been up has been and the stay has been has been the overturning has been stayed by um the eighth circuit in California or maybe it's not the eighth circuit maybe it's the ninth circuit um so it's already it's continuing right now too so it's it's just kind of weird and messy and I don't think there's any clear pathway forward but yeah at around a month is when you're going to get a lot of pain you know oh yeah associated with um non-essential offices being closed so as we can wrap that, well, do you want to go to a break or um, a next topic? Of course. Uh, here, I'll give a little preview of the next topic. North Korea and the Olympics. So have you heard anything about this? And it kind of works with us talking about Donald Trump uh, leaving. Well, we predicted he's going to leave the White House because he. I think 
his administration, he's more focused on like foreign policy glory and, mm-hmm. you know, working what he views as the, all the American people in the most pure way he knows how, which is making deals. So, But he's terrible at it. <laughs> for now. I mean, unless, know. If he can crack North Korea, the Republicans will never stop talking about good. that for 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, North Korea is going to send uh, 22 athletes to Pyeongchang, to, mm-hmm. and they will march alongside South Korea under a joint uh, Korean, I guess, delegation, which will have a flag containing only the um, an image of the Korean Peninsula here. I will um, look into this article from CNN that I have. I have some notes on it. Uh, North and South Korean athletes will march together at the Winter Olympics opening ceremony in Pyeongchang, which uh, are coming up uh, in 2018 this year. Um, it was a dip- hailed as a diplomatic breakthrough following days of talks between the country. Um, and, but however, the IS, the IOC, excuse me, they need to approve the agreement as well as the implications for the competitions because if the teams are marching together and playing together, then this could affect the sway of certain competitions because you'll have um, good athletes from both teams united, so they could be could throw off the balance that they have uh, sort of created in the matchups between certain teams. Um, anyway. North Korea has a history of participating at Olympic events, although it's been sort of spotty with regards to the Winter Olympics. Uh, it started the 1964 Winter Olympics, and the first summer games that participated in were Munich. I'm not sure which year. Do you know what year the Munich Olympics were, Jacob? I want to say 1968, but like... Probably. It wasn't 1968. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah. If you know it, just message us. I guess it's not that important. Happens sometime. Um, we'll find about it later. They had sporadic participation. Oh, 72, the, sorry. 72. Yeah. Sporadic participation Apologies. in the Winter Olympics, but they continued to participate in the Summer Games, except for 1984 in L.A. and 88 in Seoul. And in Seoul, um, North Korean agents bombed Korean Air Flight 858 in 1988 um, as a terrorist attack designed to um, spoil reconciliation between the North and South. Um, and their approach to the Olympic Games is very similar to the Soviet style of Olympic competition, most likely because of Soviet influence in the area as well as Chinese communist influence with emphasis on mm-hmm. simple, cheap competitions of strength such as uh, weightlifting, gymnastics, things along those lines. Are, the, are, those, are those like the budget sports? Yeah, the, bu- <laughs> the budget sports. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And also... Do you know how much bobsleds cost? <laughs> yeah. And also, um, there's been... Uh, speculation that it helps authoritarian regimes with this because if you have very personalistic regimes then it helps in order to show that the regime is strong by having these sort of feats of strength because you associate therefore the physical strength with the like uh, strength of the of the, re- of the personalistic regime which you saw in the Soviet Union and you see in North Korea as well as um, other I guess authoritarian countries with yeah. an emphasis on like one. Le- but I, I think the most interesting thing about the stories I've been reading about, like previewing the Olympics is, or previewing these like negotiations, is how the slightest things will kind of send the entire, or sorry, the entire like um, event into disarray, and like like the regime will be offended by um, like how like how they're being portrayed in like a concert and they'll just like leave and quit right Mm -hmm. and there's like this constant like fretting about whether or not north korea will actually show up because they're very specific about what they're trying to get out of this right yeah yeah and that isn't being met they're just going to pull out yeah they could Um, um but 
recently uh, under the uh, Kim Jong Un, um, I guess, regime or administration, mm-hmm. uh, there has been a significant push toward the Winter Games, which is interesting because North Korea has been attempting to build uh, ski resorts as well as uh, just generally develop in the uh, mountainous areas of the country, North Korea being a very mountainous area respective of the um, entire Korean Peninsula. There's a lot of high elevation in those areas and uh, snowy areas. So it could be an effort in order to show off the glory of their country um, as well as advertise to the world, yes, we are coming up and we are developing and trying to attract people to our regime. And this plays into, I think, their acquisition of nuclear weapons as well because they are trying to stabilize themselves um, and show that they are going to, they're a regime that is here to last. They're not Mm -hmm. going to be bullied by the West. They're not going to, um, I suppose, they'll be able to stand up for their own with nuclear weapons and um, be respected as a powerful player in the world and by establishing their stability internationally as well as uh, their stability domestically as well as the legitimacy through um, mm-hmm. the development of the nuclear program as well as participation in the Olympics with the, to strengthen the personalistic regime, theoretically strengthen the personalistic regime. They are trying to, I think, make a move toward being more developed and connected um, internationally. And this move, in my opinion... Um, is ultimately most likely a move designed to draw some sort of reconciliation between the North and the South while marginalizing the United States. I sort of did some analysis of some theories about reasons why they're doing Mm -hmm. this. Um, So one theory stated by Japan as well as the United States, um, State Department and the Japanese Foreign Minister Kono at a Vancouver summit on North Korea attended by uh, the United States and its allies in the area, um, as well as the United Kingdom and Australia, said that um, North Korea is trying to buy their time while their missile program continues, which I agree with, but I don't think it's the whole picture. Um, North Korea trying to divide the South and U.S. by increasing North-South bond, thereby increasing costs of military presence for the U.S., i.e. making the U.S. presence there more unattractive to people living in the area and making reconciliation with the north or a reproachment more attractive because it is very it's a very tense situation so reassurance and reproachment and increased trust would be very uh, attractive for the people of the south to show if they were able to show the north that the true enemy is the united states and this would sort of detract distract the north from you know um fighting with the South in order to gain domestic legitimacy, and instead they could focus their efforts on the United States. Um, so it would make reconciliation more attractive relative yeah. to militarism. And just, sorry, just put a pin in that, like, if something does go wrong in the Korean Peninsula, the people that will suffer the most are the South Koreans, right? Yeah. Like, that, that goes without saying. So, like, I mean, Trump is allowed to be blustery because there's nothing that he's risking really personally. No. Because I don't think Americans really care about South Koreans. I don't think that they even really care about the troops stationed there. Like, No. You know. I mean, as long as they're not shipping missiles over here. But that's what North Korea is trying to do mm-hmm. um, while trying to establish, at least with this, reproachment, seemingly reproachment with the South. Yeah, um, I mean, that is, tem- that is temporary because they are, they're building their, you know, IBM capabilities. Yeah, right? I'm going to so, get into okay. that. Continue. Um. Anyway... 
So what if it doesn't work? Is This is what I said earlier. Is the signal of reconciliation, i.e. this sort of marching alongside each other at the Olympics, which although it was negotiated, doesn't show like material benevolence. Is it a costly signal, which is something that was talked about by a professor here, Andrew Kidd, who we've interviewed. He did a paper on this talking about conflict resolution or I guess uh, terrorist attacks, this idea of costly signaling where in order for something to matter and not be viewed as cheap talk as he puts it it needs to be costly to your uh long-term or even short-term interests in some way but is this um in my opinion no it's not really uh a costly signal because it works in the favor of the north um and in a way that it shows domestic legitimacy or it a it's in the way to obtain domestic legitimacy for the uh, North Korean regime, and it plays into the interests of dividing the North and the South. So, in my opinion, it won't uh, try and mm-hmm. it won't even affect the opinion of the South. Maybe in yeah. the short term, but not in well, the long term. Well, and it gives it gives the North Korean the burnish of working with the international organization oh, right? yeah. and having the you know because that's the thing about you know regimes that are largely you know and countries that are you know stigmatized throughout the world. So you look at like. Um, North Korea would be the prototypical example, but also Cuba and you know Iran that were you know now Venezuela. Yeah, Venezuela, who have been suffering under sanctions um, led by the U.S. for decades, and you know this re- were recently lifted in the case of Iran, and may or may not be lifted. You um, gotta change your friends. Yeah, but like what they do crave is foreign legitimacy. Like yep. that's that's a big part of like what Russia's problem is too right now is that they're you, you know, gotta look like the good guys. Yeah, or just or just have like the reputation of of being able to act like a normal country. And when yeah. a country is not allowed to do that, that like actually does damage people's perception of their own country. And yeah, regimes are very hungry to to recover that. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's part of what they're part of what I think they're doing here is yeah. more an effort. For domestic and international legitimacy mm. than actual reconciliation. Yeah. Um, so internal pressure is domestic legitimacy. It could be a way for the regime to obtain legitimacy from the public in some way. Notably, North Korean public desires peace and reconciliation with their southern neighbors to unite against American influences uh, from an influence by a Chinese outfit. I'm not sure if it's a think tank or a, a university. Uh, Cho- oh, no, it's a media company that does polls. Uh, Chosun Media. Uh, of North Koreans traveling in China. They did a poll of 100 people and 95 out of 100 North Koreans. And they didn't have college educations, by the way. So they were mm-hmm. not uh, not the elites that live in Pyongyang, but just common people who just look upon the regime with admiring eyes, mm-hmm. which uh, if you watch the Vice documentary, I guess they'd be portrayed as like brainwashed, although they're probably living in fear. But anyway, they they um, support reconciliation with the, the South. It's in fact, it uh, goes against the sort of narratives that people have of, you know, you see the footage of people, everyone waving flags and uh, all of the militarized parades and uh, all of the propaganda showing these, like, ridiculous North Korean soldiers, like, smashing Seoul or something or, like, stomping on the White House and the Capitol building. Mm-hmm. Um, they, But, in fact, they're just as scared of the South as well as the United States as the the South is, understandably, you know. It's just who is to blame, and in their opinion, the people who are to blame are the Americans as well as the South Korean government, but they desire reconciliation with the South. And, in fact, it was under a system that was sort of uh, 50% of them respond. Only 14% of them want North Korean-style socialism. 50% of the people supposedly wanted um, a blend of this uh, North Korean-style socialism with South Korean capitalism. So this may be the angle that Kim Jong-un is trying to get into, this sort of authoritarian 
capitalist control, which we see in China, uh, Russia somewhat, as mm-hmm. well as I yeah. think Cuba is going to be. And so, I mean, South Korea also has a very strange form of capitalism, too. It's mostly the economy is controlled by five or six large family owned or- organizations. Yeah, that it's like huge. old school Japan. Yeah, no, that actually is pretty, pretty close, except even somehow even more concentrated. Like, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been um, a pushback against uh, these large companies in recent um, in recent times. For instance, like there were, um, I think it was higher, sorry, higher executives at Samsung, for instance, were put on trial for corruption and convicted last year. Uh, but they still obviously maintain a lot of power within the country. So um, that actually isn't too far. I mean, like you said, like, could North Korea be there someday? Like, yeah. I don't think the South model, the South model, or the South um, economic model is as far away from, from the you know the Kim regime as people would think, right? Yeah. Hmm. Um. Well, maybe not the Kim regime, but maybe China. I think China. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. You're right. Maybe because the Kim regime is old school Stalinism, whereas you know China Mm. and Russia have this sort of oligarchical capitalism, which is more um, you know attractive if you're an authoritarian. Um, but anyway, actual desire for unification. This is what I got into earlier. Um, excuse me if I said earlier uh, the signal isn't costly enough for reconciliation. I meant unification. Okay. Um, yep. Because I think this signal is costly enough to show a desire for reconciliation. Uh, because and this kind of works with the obtaining of nuclear missiles as well. Because it's like we have a gun. It's pretty much we have a gun that'll be able to destroy the world now. So are you going to negotiate? Um, it's showing that they're willing to go to the table, whereas desire for unification, uh, it's very, it's, the Kim regime has too much to lose from unification. If the South was unified under, like, even a joint government, then there would be too much pressure from the South, as well as China and the United States, in order to legitimize the new government internationally, there'd be, have to be some way to hold the, uh, the bad people in the Kim regime accountable, unless they were doing some sort of, you know, uh, 1940s Japan situation, which I think would be uh, unlikely um, because they would have to join the two regimes in some way, and this would disrupt the the control and the interest that the, the Kim regime has in developing the country and stabilizing things and having their own little world away from the South. Um, so, again, North Korean public supports better relations for the South. That was my evidence for that. Uh, and um, even the South would tolerate it. The South would isolate itself from the U.S. and regional allies if they um, did do like pursue unification with the North and then uh, foment regional chaos. Um, so desire for reconciliation or negotiation is the most likely. It's costly domestically for Kim because it's a signal for reconciliation. And if they don't pursue things like this, uh, at least signal to some way substantively to the South there, he's sort of, you know, writing uncashable checks uh, that the people will remember, uh, assuming that the people will see this in state media, which I think is likely assuming that the Kim regime is getting um, legitimacy from it, although I haven't watched North Korean uh, state media, although it is very entertaining. Um, reconciliation could be the best option for all sides. It would give the Kim regime the opportunity to stabilize the country, have their own power, and then develop the country. Um while obtaining domestic and international legitimacy. Um, North Korean public will be able to rest easy. South Korean public will be able to rest easy, so they could rebuild relations between the two countries. The North could dr- 
potentially then draw a wedge between the South and the Americans because um, they'd say, why do you need the American support now? You know, we're not going to hurt you. We're focused on security from them. Um, so it would work in regard to this and in the Trump administration uh, favor. The Trump administration wants to show that the the Kim regime to stop their nuclear development program. So they are looking to Trump is looking to get something on his resume in that regard um, to show that, yes, I am a good negotiator. I will be able to stand up to the Kim regime and stop them from developing their missile program and their their cruelties and um there'd be some way for everyone to win although i i think north korea is still not going to compromise on having at least one nuclear missile um unless there are some sort of costly signal or reassurance from the united states like a troop pullout or something that goes alongside with their uh lack of developing of missiles because the reason why the north wants missiles is to um, signal to the United States that they have power and the ability to develop these missiles. Although they're not going too well, they're showing resolve uh, in the process of developing them. So they are taking steps to develop these missiles. So it's showing the U.S. that they are determined to defend themselves from outside influence and outside pressure to uh, you know, make a peace that's not good on their terms. Um, so... There, that's my conclusion. My conclusion, uh, reconciliation and negotiation is most likely from this, and this is an effort to signal to the United States as well as the South that the Kim regime is willing to negotiate with regards to missiles, although they're not going to give up their sovereignty, uh, which is a myth, uh, even though I, I don't think that's going to happen, even though the United States is preparing for war with North Korea, but that's been going on for a while, I think. Um, the Pentagon supposedly here I'll look this up um, they've been doing some drills preparing for a war with North Korea whether this is new or not is unknown to me uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't new um, have you heard anything about this Jacob I mean they conduct uh, naval exercises in, in the South China Sea periodically and yeah know. they're constantly yeah, I, don't, I don't know I mean there. there's yeah there's there's always US fleets kind of trolling the waters but um yeah, um, yeah. So, according to the Japan Times, I'm just looking at this article uh, they looked up on Google. Uh, Mattis told foreign ministers gathering in Vancouver at that conference I talked about um, about the Pentagon's war plan that they've been working on. And according to the State Department, as well as the uh, the Defense Department of the United States, uh, the United States would very easily win a war with North Korea. Um, well, yeah, I mean that that isn't the question. And though. this the, goes the, the question isn't about winning; it's about like what the cost is. Right? Yeah. Like, well, according to an earlier plan I mean, developed in 1994, that was uh, declassified. And, like, what your they, objective is is like, do you just want to destroy Korea? Because we could do that. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that would accomplish. Like, I mean, if you want to nuke Korea, it's that's something that Donald Trump could do tomorrow or right now if he wanted to. Right? The the plan is to have rock and roll music yeah. playing while we have jets flying and yeah. you know have rockets. We'll have we'll have the American equivalent of that of that, you know, video that they have on the news always of Kim Jong un looking through his binoculars as there's mm-hmm. the missile platform <laughs> going off. That's a great video. Um But yeah, it, with huge casualties, I forgot to mention. Uh, massive losses for the U.S. in the South, so we could destroy the North if we really wanted to, but it would be about like the invasion 
the predicted invasion of Japan in the 1940s because the people uh, fight with believe they're uh, in the complete legitimacy and have complete faith in their way of government as well as the regime and have complete hatred and distrust of enemies um, because that's the way they were raised and um, just a sort of worldview that they have gotten into that the country is being bombarded from all sides which uh, evidence supports um, although you know intentions may not be there in the that image of the world um, intentions may not be accurate but you know, the images. So. Yeah, good discussion, Will. Thanks. Do you have any uh, last minute hot takes? Um, gosh. North Korea, bad yeah, asshole. Bad. No, my hot take would be get off Twitter. It's poisonous for your mind. Yeah, don't uh, do on Twitter. Do anything better. <laughs> even even YouTube. Just watch YouTube. No, don't watch YouTube. That's, what? Even Red Letter Media? I think YouTube is kind of like, is like neo-reactionary, like alt-right. It's, that's their platform, really. But not all you, it depends on what you watch. Yeah, I, I guess, what about Red Letter Media? Not all, not all, not all channels. Yeah, not, not all, channels. not all, hashtag not all channels. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Dialogue Squad. SoundCloud.com slash Wacky Willy D. Find all our episodes, including this one. It will be posted tomorrow or Monday. Uh, on there. Uh, I am Wacky Willie D here with co-host DJP. And, well, have a good Saturday, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Bye-bye. <laughs>